Welcome to the Healthy Matters Podcast with Dr. David Hilden, primary care physician and acute care hospitalist at Hennepin Healthcare in downtown Minneapolis, where we cover the latest in health, healthcare, and what matters to you. And now here's your host, Dr. David Hilden. Hey, Dr. Hilden here. Pollen? Cats? Dust mites? Peanuts? What do these all have in common? Today, on episode 12 of the Healthy Matters podcast, we're going to talk about allergies. And to help us out, I've brought an old friend and colleague, Dr. John Sweet, who is an allergist at Hennepin Healthcare. John, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Good to have you. Start us off. Why do we have allergies? Good question. Well, not all to of us... To keep you in, in, in work? Is that why we have them? <laughs> it, uh, it's, it's a never-ending supply of patients these days, but it's not everyone does. Not everyone does. Everyone thinks, oh, everyone's allergic to something. That's not true. Anywhere, it's about anywhere between 10 to 30% of people have it, depending what age group you belong to. So not everyone has them, but if you do, you know, it's one of those things that it can manifest in different ways or show up. You can have allergic rhinitis, allergic conjunctivitis, meaning itchy water eyes, just in the nose. You can have food allergies. You can have uh, eczema, atopic dermatitis, asthma. Allergies can affect people in a whole bunch of different ways, but the most common way when people say they have allergies, they usually mean the nose. and They have stuffy nose, nasal congestion, post-nasal drip, that sort of thing. Is is it your immune system isn't working well enough or what's going on? It's working too well. It's working too well. It's, uh, as I often say to my patients, you you got a very healthy, well-nourished immune system that's bored. It's looking for something to do. Okay. Okay. So it's overactive. Overactive. It's, it's, It's reacting to things it should ignore. And I explained to them, like, you have friends without allergies. They're exposed to the exact same thing you are. Their body sees it and ignores it. They see tree pollen. They see grass pollen. They see pet dander. Nothing happens to them. But you, my patient, unfortunately, your immune system sees it as a threat, and it's trying to get rid of it. So think of that sneeze, that post-nasal drip, that drainage, as a way of your body trying to get it out. Instead of ignoring it, it's trying to remove it. And that, that leads to a lot of symptoms. That It can be pretty uncomfortable. I'm allergic to a variety of things, dust mites and molds and Lord knows what else I'm, I'm allergic to. Yeah. I seem to know quite a few people who this time of year, it is May when we're recording this episode, this time of year things are getting worse. If people are getting worse in May with seasonal things, what are they reacting to? Why springtime? Right. Well, here in the upper Midwest, it's been a slow thaw. And admittedly, a lot of the pollen counts aren't as high as they typically are in previous years. But when the first snow melt, usually in the upper Midwest, it's going to be mid-February, mid-March, you're going to start getting the molds released from the from the ground or snow mold that's commonly caused. Those get picked up into the air and people start looking around. There's nothing green outside, but they're starting to get that runny nose every time they're outdoors or that uh, itchy eyes and such. When you start seeing the first changes in the trees, those little buds on the trees, you start seeing tree pollens will start coming out. Here we got ash, birch uh, pollen is, is on definitely on the rise. Yeah, that, that would be, uh, I can just see it on, on the, the trees out in our front yard. They got little teeny buds. So does that mean that allergies come earlier in, you know, in other parts of the country? So we have listeners all over the place. I have, I have listener friends in West Virginia and in the south of the United States and the southwest. I suppose it varies then. Absolutely. For them, seasonal allergies are year-round. Down in the south in Texas, I love cedar fever. and Cedar uh, fever? Cedar fever. Cedar pollen is going to be raging at that point. You know, grass pollens and weed pollens will never go away, and it's just ebbs and flows. At least in the northern climate, at, 
uh, for now, we have frost that kills off everything. That's Nothing free. survives in Minnesota for six months of the year except the people, but that's because we kind of hibernate. <laughs> so the molds and the pollens and all that, they're literally just frozen to death, and that's what happens? Vast majority. But then people ask, well, as an allergist, what do you got to do in the wintertime? Said, that's indoor allergy season. With all those heat systems, uh, moving dust and pet dander through the air, if you have other contaminants in the home or allergens, it can cause a lot of symptoms during the winter season as well. Yeah, I one time went to your office. I think it was your office, your clinic office. You had a poster on the wall of a, like an allergy-friendly bedroom. And I got to tell you, John, I love you and everything, but that bedroom looked like a pretty sterile office. It had, you know, it didn't have any any like coziness. I often say you want your bedroom to look like it came from Ikea. Oh, gosh. Hard, <laughs> angular surfaces. Nothing soft in there except maybe a pillow. Uh, oh, come on. Yeah, it's hard. I'll it's, bet you're real popular with your patients. Okay, here's what you have to do. You have to get rid of your pillows and your blankets and your curtains and your carpets and everything? Is that what you have to do? Well, you know, I say that and a lot of patients already know that. They already know to take the carpet out of the bedroom. They already know to not have things in the bedroom that serve as an allergen magnet where the dander or dust mites can accrue quite easily. But even though, even with that, those, they'll still have symptoms because they're just things you can't escape, like dust mites, you know. Dust mites are microscopic, can't see them with the naked eye, but one dust mite uh, lays 200 eggs in three months. Okay, and you are if you have that allergy, you're allergic to the living ones, the dead ones, and all their waste. This and is kind of gruesome. It is. It's gross. So and the dust mites are in our homes, just about everywhere you can find them, and they they eat our dead skin. They thrive in the microclimate of our bed where there's enough humidity from our perspiration and such. We give them food, we give them water, and a perfect temperature, and they just thrive in our bedding. Wow. And so you can get rid of them, but you can't get rid of the eggs. Eggs remain. They're very sticky. They keep growing. And so that can cause a lot of symptoms throughout the uh, every night during sleep. You wake up got to blow your nose every morning. Patients are sometimes surprised, like, doesn't everyone do that? It's like, no. <laughs> no that is not a, a common thing for people to have uh, unless you have allergies. What do you recommend people do when they're experiencing their their inevitable annual allergy symptoms? Yeah, good question. The, uh, the whole idea is if you know you have allergies and you know that spring is your season, you know, the thing is to get ahead of it. All the allergy medica medications you can get over the counter best work preventively. They don't work as well if you already have the symptoms. But if you know your pollen season is coming, start your antihistamine, start your steroid nasal spray a week or two before the onset of your symptoms. And you end up having fewer symptoms or, or less severe symptoms if you do. And the other thing, if you know you have an allergen trigger, you know you're allergic to that pollen, that pollen, you're allergic to the air, I tell my patients. Seriously, you can't avoid that, can you? Yeah, well, if you have to go out, and who doesn't want to go out when you've got a uh, beautiful spring day? And a lot of us need to breathe, John. Go, yeah, absolutely. Go outside, but your hair acts like a giant pollen collector. You know, wear a hat. And if you come in, you know, take a shower before you go to bed at night. Two-minute rinse. Get that pollen off you. Okay, say that again. Your hair is, is a giant, giant It's like a big net. It's a big net. That pollen is sticky. It sticks to you, sticks to your face, sticks to your, your hair. Get that off you before you go to sleep at night. If you know you have outdoor allergens, don't bring it in the house. I haven't thought about that. You're literally out there collecting pollen on your hair, and then what you do is you go lie in your pillow. Yeah, just think about that. You come out If you park your car outside, you come outside, and it's coated with pollen from the tree. That, that's on you, too, when you're outside. So you don't want that indoor. Great tip. Wash your hair when you come back inside. Don't yeah. get it all over your house, or you could uh, wear a bouffant hairnet.
there that works too. That, that, I, and, I'd look good and, in that and cut down on the Aquanet. You know? <laughs> I cut down, exactly, exactly. Or maybe embrace your hair loss. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be so worried, guys. You're losing your hair. What you're doing is you're losing pollen collectors. Yeah, you're losing pollen count, gaining face. <laughs> okay. Good. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So that's one good yeah. tip. But right. it is hard. I, I get it. You know, their pollen's floating around, and for much of the year, and like you said, in the south of, yeah. of the country mm-hmm. for the entirety of the year. It's hard to avoid it entirely. Mm-hmm. And you got your windows open. It's probably blowing in your windows. Yeah, that's, and even though it could be tempting, you know, you get nice spring weather, open the windows. I, I tell my patients, you know, keep the windows closed. And if you have to open the windows, you must have to put a fan in the window, but blowing outwards. Don't, mm-hmm. uh, don't bring the cool air and the pollen in. Exhaust the warm air out of your house. Another good tip. And you said get ahead of it with your medications. What mm-hmm. what if what do you do if you just is there uh, anything you can do once you're sneezing and itching and it's just all hell broke loose? You know that that's when it gets tough. If your allergies are so strong and that you're using, I always say, think of your allergies as a fire, and your that medicine is like barely affecting. Unless you're putting a cup of water on a bonfire, it's not going to work. That's when you, you consider getting assessed. You know, figure out what's causing this because there are a lot of effective treatments besides the over-the-counter medications that can do this. First, I always say to conquer your enemy, you got to first got to know your enemy. And if you know what you're allergic to, we can help avoid for that. But then there's, if the medicines aren't helping, or if your goal is to have reduce your medicine that you need and sometimes even get you off them, we, we offer allergy shots or desensitization. And, and the word shot is often, people can be apprehensive, particularly in children. They don't like the idea of getting an injection in a needle, but the needles are often very small in size, my pinky fingernail. They just go under the skin if we need to do it. And the whole idea is that We've already established that your immune system is overreacting to something you should ignore. This is a way of training the immune system to ignore what you're allergic to. So That's what, what allergy shots are doing. Exactly, yeah. So we take all the things we know you're allergic to, purify them, to loop them down to a level, or water them down to a level so low you better can barely perceive what they are. We introduce them to the body, and, and we watch it, make sure you have no reaction or no adverse response. And great, you go. And every time you come back to the clinic, we slowly increase the dose, slowly build up the dose on the inside uh, of your body, build up your tolerance, and we build you up to dose that to a high enough level that should be effective in decreasing your, your body's response, teaching your immune system not to respond to these things when you're exposed to them. And they can be quite quite effective, very effective, and in reducing symptoms. So you don't need as much medications, very possibly no medications. I can vouch for that. I know many, many, many people who have come to your clinic to get their immunotherapy shots for allergies, and they're, it's, life, it's life-changing for the better for them. They, they don't react to stuff as much. It's so that's an interesting way, but you're teaching your body to ignore these things that it was formerly pretty angry about. Yeah, I've been through allergy shots, I, so I, I can preach what, I, what I've lived. There can be great reward from it. So much can get better if you treat your allergies. It's less fatigue, less brain fog that you have, you have fewer allergy symptoms, obviously. Patients tell me less frequent headaches. Some patients tell me that they have less frequent migraines that they used to have chronically, weekly, or monthly. Benefits can be enormous. It helps with asthma. It can help people with eczema. It can be life-changing for a lot of folks. I want to revisit what you said a few minutes ago. You said in order to conquer your enemy, you have to know your enemy. So mm-hmm. that gets down to 
skin testing or how or, or explain for us how do you find out what I'm allergic to? I'm your patient. There's a zillion things floating around there. I got cats. I got dogs. I got you know. How do you find out? Well, first, you know, try to get a good history. You know, and try to understand how do allergies affect you and when do you have the symptoms? Are the symptoms present in the morning uh, uh, throughout the year? Okay, that suggests to me. Okay, there might be something inside the house. Okay, do you have pets? Do you have an apartment that unfortunately may have cockroaches coming in from the neighbor? Or you have problems with mice. Do you have a damp basement? Is your bedroom in the basement where the moisture level tends to be high and dust mites thrive? Okay. All these things can help me triangulate around what possibly could be uh, affecting you. Some people that are house cleaners uh, or domestic cleaners in, in hotels, enormous dust mite exposures, you know, and so right. they, and that they're allergic to their job and they, they're exposed to dust all day long and then vacuuming and changing bedding and so forth. So all these things help me figure out what you're allergic to. And so that helps me focus on what we should try to explore. Do we have animal dander and such molds, trees, grasses, weeds? Do you travel to the Southwest and you're, are you a snowbird? Are you symptom-free when you're there, but you come back home and things get worse? That helps me figure things out. So that fa- that history of when it's really bad um, kind of narrows down what you actually have to test for. Mm-hmm. So I walk into your clinic and you do testing. You do yeah. skin testing or pinprick testing or whatever. That sounds a little bit ishy for, for people. What is it? Yeah. Very, very, very easy. And it's often I have the um, uh, people quite apprehensive or fearful of it, but, you know, I have toddlers who do it without a single tear. And so, really? Yeah. So I try to reassure them that this can be... I think I, think I made it through with it with just one or two tears. <laughs> I, th- I saw you biting your lip there. <laughs> yeah, it's a tiny, tiny scratch. And I say there, these tests can be done without any shedding of blood at all. It's a quick scratch of the skin uh, where we take the, the allergen at a certain concentration and wait. We see, does your body have an allergic response? Does it have an urticarial reaction on the skin? What's urticaria? I'm sorry. Yeah, like a hive-like reaction, like a little mosquito bite. And we, we wait 15 minutes. We take a measurement. Did your body respond uh, in a significant level? And so that helps me figure out what can be contributing to your symptoms. Where do you do it? What part of the body? You do it like right in the forehead? Oh. <laughs> that would be something. I know you don't. Yeah. Yeah, the back uh, tends to be a great place to do it. It's a nice, even, a lot of real estate, we say, a lot of flat area. We can do it. Sometimes we'll do it on the arms, sometimes the forearms, depending where you are. Some patients come in with a lot of ink, we'll say, a lot of tattoos. A lot of tattoos. We, oh, that would make it harder. Yeah, we got we to be selective where we choose. Yeah, we got to be selective sometimes. But yeah, we can usually figure it out. What are, what are people most allergic to? I would say uh, easily indoors are dust mites. Dust mites, because that's the one thing you can't escape. Unless you live on the tippy top of a mountain or where it's super dry and there's no humidity, uh, you're going to be exposed to dust mites just about everywhere you go. And so that would probably be the number one allergen if you have it. And now, it's not, I'm not saying you're allergic to dust. Anyone can sneeze when they're under dust, but having dust mites, that allergy, that would be. Uh, so it's the, I mean, not to get too gruesome here, but it's the critter. That, that, that you are allergic to, the little thing that under a microscope looks like a little monster. Yeah, they're, they're descendants of, of spiders and arachnid, yeah. The dust mite themselves, as well as uh, their fecal pellets. And they, uh, just so you know, interesting fact, they poop about 40 times a day. Yeah, so, great. Yeah. So every single person yeah, listening to this podcast is <laughs> looking for their vacuum cleaner right about now. Vacuum cleaner with a HEPA filter, I hope. Oh, it has to have a HEPA filter? <laughs> yeah, otherwise you're just sucking it up and passing it right through the vacuum So this cleaner. is a plug for cleaning your house. Uh, but in, in all seriousness, does cleaning your house help? 
it, or are they coming right back? You you got to re- you can reduce them, but you got to be consistent about it. Okay, the, these things uh, the the allergen in, at least in the dust mite is about three microns wide. Okay, that's one thirtieth of the width of a hair follicle, and so it's tiny, tiny, tiny. So allergen covers that are woven so tightly that the dust mite can't get through or pet dander, those are ideal. Cover up the mattress, cover up the pillows. And I tell my patients, anything above those allergen covers, wash. You got to wash. And if you can't wash something, put it in the dryer in high heat. Uh, kill the dust mites with the high heat. But unfortunately, you're not going to kill the eggs very well. Right. Very specific question. How often should you launder your linens, your bed linens, your you know, towels? The rule of thumb is once a week. But I say you, if you if you have a dust mite allergy, use your nose as a barometer. If you're waking up in the morning with congestion that feels like your allergies, that's a sign to do your uh, do your wash. Do your laundry. Yeah. Oh, that's absolutely. a good tip. I used to have a terrible dust mite allergy before I did my uh, allergy shots. And I know exactly what that feels like. Deep, clean, wake up, breathing well. Next day is a little bit better. Yeah. And then three, five, seven days, depending how sensitive you are, you, symptoms can be back. That's how often you should be tackling the bedding. Julie and I, Julie, my wife, Julie, that you know well, have had a conversation mm-hmm. about the ceiling fan in our bedroom. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. we're, we're not slobs, but we're also not. Our bedroom does not look like an Ikea showroom. There's, there's <laughs> a rug and there's linens in there and there's a ceiling fan. I maintain that that's like blowing all the junk all over the room when you're running a ceiling fan at night and my allergies are thus worse and that's why I'm like all sniffly at nighttime. She doesn't think it's a ceiling fan. Thoughts? Dave, I'm going to side with you. Oh, okay. Thank you. You're right. You are. She won't be happy. You you can be stirring up uh, the dust, right? But if that's the case... one, I think, get a HEPA filter in the in the bedroom. Suck that dust out of there so it doesn't go into. I don't even know what a HEPA filter looks like. Is it oh. you know a little thing you put on the side of the room? What are you talking about? Room air cleaner that's going to filter the air. They want to get one that's large enough for the cubic feet or the size of your room that can recirculate the air. You know, three five times an hour to pull that dust out, uh, so it's not landing on you or into your bedding. All right. It's a good tip. You spend a third of your day, a third of your life asleep. You know, I think that deserves a little attention. All right. All right. Okay. Well, we're talking to Dr. John Sweet, an allergist at Hennepin Healthcare with me. And when we come back from a short break, I want to talk to you about pets and allergies. Stay with us. You're listening to the Healthy Matters Podcast with Dr. David Hilden. Have a question or a comment for the doctor? Become a part of our show by reaching out to us at healthymatters at hcmed.org. Or give us a call at 612-873-TALK. That's 612-873-8255. And now let's get back to more healthy conversation. Hey, we're back. I'm talking with Dr. John Sweet, allergist at Hennepin Healthcare. Pets, John. A lot of people are allergic to dogs and cats and all that. And uh, what's to be done about that? What if you're allergic to your own cat? Ah, yes. Patients will come to me with complaints of chronic symptoms, and, you know, they immediately I said, I tell them I'm going to test them for their cat or cats or dog or dogs. A lot of, and they uh, they immediately, their back stiffens a little bit. I'm not getting rid of my pet. I said, They're not getting rid of Fido. No, never. I, I, Have you ever had to do that? Have you ever had to tell, tell a patient, okay, I did skin testing, you're allergic to Fido? It's... <laughs> in my early career, I told the mother that, yes, the, the child was literally cat. She said, okay, I'm taking him out back this afternoon. The, dad, she, the, <laughs> the mother really was going to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to take care of this animal. Yeah, I was, I was harp. I'm, I'm an animal lover. I could have been a vet. I mean, I never, ever advocated to get rid of a pet. 
because rarely it is just the pet. If you have an allergy to pet, you usually have allergies to other things also, which require medications, which require certain changes at home. So I try to work around that. Okay. So the the old way of saying was that you got to get rid of the pet and that never happened, as I've said that before. They'll get rid of the allergist before they get rid of their pet. Seriously, yeah, yeah, they're gonna get rid of you. It, it, yeah. won't. it never works. You try to even the negotiation. Don't let the pet into your bedroom where you're you're sleeping. That rarely happens, you know. So aggressive allergy abatement, reducing the allergen as best you can, you know. And then, then well, can't I wash my pet? And well, it works for about three days, you know. Yeah. And so then the dander comes back to level to affect you. Are some pets less allergenic? Are some breeds? Uh, first question, yes. Not by breed. Not it, by breed. It's oh. never been proven that this uh, Labradoodle, this Poodle, this Bichon, is, uh, a breed is less allergenic than that. And it's extremely controversial because it's out there. And then people believe it. And they yeah, say, if you're well, allergic to your lab, then go ahead and get a Poodle and you're going to be better. That's yeah. not a thing? No, not the case at all. None. It's not proven. Are some individual uh, pets less allergenic than others? Absolutely. Are is there this new genetically engineered cat that is less allergenic than others? Yeah, that, yeah, that that exists, but not in general um, uh, availability to most folks. And so, yes, individual pets are. Well, patients will often tell me, "Well, not my pet, but when I'm going to my friend's house with the with a with the same cat or dog, I react to them." And I said, "Well, hold on, let's." back up on the symptoms you told me. You told me you have chronic nasal congestion, chronic post-nasal drainage, and you you have that throughout the year. Okay. And so I often explain to them, there are two stages to an allergic reaction. There's the immediate, there's the delayed. The immediate, everyone can identify. It looks like every antihistamine commercial you ever see. Itch, sneeze, watery eyes. Okay. That's what happens in the, uh, in the immune response when it first encounters a, a novel allergen. Then there's the delayed response. That's about an hour or two later. That's the inflammatory response. That's the, the sinus congestion, the pressure, the slow drainage down the throat, the chronic eczema, let's say. That's the delayed allergic response. That's about an hour or two later, and it can last up to a, a day or even more. When you live with something you're allergic to, that immediate response diminishes. It goes way low. You don't itch and sneeze anymore, but you have the chronic oh, uh, symptoms, okay. the pressure and congestion. And so a good example, again, back to the, our friendly dust mite. You're crawling into beds with millions of dust mites every, every night if, if you have that allergy. You don't itch and sneeze, but you wake up congested every morning. Mm -hmm. the, you have the delayed allergic mm -hmm. response. Same thing with your pet if you are allergic to it. That contributes to the symptoms. So the whole idea is, yes, the pets can cause the symptoms. Yeah, we can treat that. Allergy desensitization can be marvelously effective. Unfortunately, the patients start feeling so good <laughs> in my practice, they often add a second or third pet after, after so the symptoms are like getting better. So you're just adding on more fuel to the fire, if you will. Yeah, a couple of physicians who have done that, and they say you're, they tell me their shots stop working. I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> But you became a dog breeder in the meantime. <laughs> you, you took care of my cirrhosis of the liver, but I drank more, and it's your. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So my, yeah, that's a good way to put it. That's a yeah. good, good way to put it. Yeah, but no, we can handle all of that. Okay, sounds good. So you don't have to get rid of uh, your your cat and get fish necessarily, right? But you might have to manage it, right? I say get fish because I bet people aren't as quite allergic to fish. <laughs> uh, only if they eat them, I guess. Uh, only if they eat them. Yeah. Before we close off, I got to ask you a question that I get from patients and listeners a lot um it's about peanut allergies mm -hmm. and so many people 
I mean, for I, I remember when, like, I think it was Delta Airlines, which is based in Georgia, which is like the peanut capital of the world, was the only airline still giving peanuts because we were so worried about people with allergies. In other words, it was pretty prevalent. People were really worried about peanut allergies. I remember you telling me not too long ago that what should parents of kids do, babies do, to prevent peanut allergies? Good. Is there a thing they can do? Absolutely. Now, there are... There are risk factors for developing a, a food allergy, particularly peanut. They have found that children at, with moderate to severe eczema, uh, meaning red, scaly skin, mm-hmm. during infancy at, uh, are at risk for it, or children that have a known egg allergy that causes hives or anaphylaxis or strong allergic reactions. Those children have higher risk for having peanut allergy. We know that. And... The fascinating study based on incidental observation of in Israel, it was very common for infants to receive a snack called bamba snack. It's bamba? Like bamba, B-A-M-B-A. And it's very common culturally to feed the children, uh, infants, this. It's like this peanut-flavored uh, Cheeto. It's a yeah. peanut puff. And it was very common to give that. And they realized in the Israeli po- children population, the rate of peanut allergy was much lower ah. than the same sort of genetic comparison population they had in Britain. And they said, well, could it possibly be that they're actually inducing tolerance at an early age for these high-risk patients? And sure enough, there was a study called LEAP, Learning Early About Peanut. And could introducing peanut uh, early in life actually build a tolerance to peanut, make it less likely for a child to be diagnosed with peanut allergy? And sure enough, they found by feeding about six grams of peanut, that's about several teaspoons of peanut butter over a week's time, consistently starting at any age from anywhere six months to 11 months. If those children, these high-risk children, were fed peanut, at age five, they are 80% less chance of having a peanut allergy versus the children, when in our way of doing things in the early 2000s before, was restrict. Avoid, avoid, avoid. Keep it away from the kid. That way they can't develop an allergy. Actually, they were inducing allergy. They were hiding the food from the immune system so it couldn't develop a tolerance to it. And so, yeah. So actually feeding the, these high-risk children peanut at a very early age can do it. And the, the theory is that it can work well, possibly, with other foods. We just haven't figured out the right mm-hmm. dose or the right form that it should work for others. But you can see it now. You get these pre-packaged forms of, of, of egg and wheat and peanut protein, tree nut protein, uh, to feed these kids in infancies with the goal of trying to train the immune system early on that these are benign things don't react. That's fascinating. You know, yeah. don't, don't, you know, don't restrict it from your immune system, introduce it, but at safe doses. So what do you tell a parent, a new mom, a new dad of a, okay, their kids starting to get into solid foods. They're six months old. They're 10 months old. Yeah. How do they do that? You can't like open a can of peanut butter and say, here you go. Right. Yeah. There's a choking hazard. Yeah, yeah exactly. But, but, uh, there's, there's the, the peanut flavored cereal. There's the, 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 the peanut puff snacks that we talked about or dissolving the peanut butter into the, into their food, stirring it in, mixing it in, introducing the small ways. And I've got, and this is kind of out there. I have parents do it already. Unfortunately, it works 80% of the time. I still have parents who are very aggressive, very thoughtful about these things. They try to do that, but the kid ends up having a, a allergic reactions to this very preventive treatment. And that's unfortunately the way it works. Sometimes the gene is out of the bottle. Yeah. The kid's been dealt a genetic hand that's just prone to develop this allergy. Yeah. On a related note, should kids eat dirt? <laughs> yeah, the hygiene hypothesis. Yeah. Uh, let them eat dirt. And the whole idea is the hygiene hypothesis is. 
Are we living in too clean an environment? Is the body missing the chance for uh, uh, learning what the natural world is? Is it too often use of, of antibiotics? Is actually vaccination, I am pro-vaccination, sorry anyone out there, but it's, it's a good thing, but could that possibly be in our Western society that we're actually preventing some common infections that help strengthen the immune system to target the right things? Mm-hmm is that uh, cesarean births, that is associated with increased risk of allergic disease because you're not getting... Cesarean births, interesting. Yeah, uh, because you're not getting colonized uh, with the right bacteria. You're bypassing that. Yep, yep. In the birth canal, yeah. In the birth canal. And so... All these things are, are risks for it. Again, with the genetic tendency, if you got uh, if both parents have allergy, you have about eighty percent chance of having allergy in some form. Never, not saying the severity, but of some form. One parent has an allergy, can be forty percent chance approximately. But we tend to see that perhaps more later in life. And to the question of do allergies start later in life, it, and we often see that in my own history. Like people come to me in their thirties, their forties, fifties. Why now? And so I, I asked, one of your parents have sinus problems. One of your parents clearing their throat all Blame the time. Yeah. Well, we've been talking to Dr. John Sweet, allergist at Hennepin Healthcare, a longtime friend and colleague of mine. Um, John, do you have time for a couple of questions from listeners? Absolutely. Okay. Tina from Ely, Minnesota says, I can't remember where, but I once heard sore muscles could be attributed to allergies. Is that true? And what are some of the more rare manifestations of allergies that you've seen? All right. That's a good question. I th- I wouldn't say directly sore muscles, but absolutely fatigue. Fatigue is a huge uh, factor that patients will complain about. Difficulty concentrating. Children's test scores and during peak pollen season have been uh, with, with allergies tend to go down. Uh, muscle aches, I wouldn't be able to say directly that's the case, but definitely feeling achy, feeling run down because your immune system is inflamed. Your immune system is trying to fight off the world. And so, yeah, people can feel run down. What about that brain? You talked about concentration. I've had people say that when their allergies were treated, they felt sharper. You know, is there is there like a brain fog or a concentration issue or are they just are they indirectly related? Allergies can affect quality of sleep. Absolutely. Um, just taking over the counter antihistamines can be sedating. You take away those things and definitely that can improve concentration. But also, too, people just feel miserable. And it's hard to focus when you're uh, when you're you all, feel well. when yeah. you got allergies. Thanks for that question, Tina. And Jeff in Chicago was wondering. Is there anything to be particularly concerned about if you decide just to take over-the-counter treatments for your allergies? Good question. Yeah, over-the-counter medications, the antihistamines, the the second-generation antihistamines like cetirizine, Zyrtec, fexofenadine, Allegra, loratadine, Claritin, those things are relatively safe. The first-generation antihistamines are have a stronger anticholinergic effect like Benadryl and such or chlorpheniramine. And they knock you out. They knock you out and there's a question uh, do they or do not have increased the risk for uh, uh, dementia in the elderly. Really? Uh, after, after prolonged use. It's it's questionable. Yeah. And, but the question is being raised. And so you often find that if you get by with a, a simple dose of the second generation of antihistamines and well-controlled, great, or using a sterile nasal spray or using nasal lavages, those can be very effective. But if you find that you're um, cheating and updosing, as we say, uh, chasing your symptoms with higher and higher amounts or using uh, large amounts of uh, decon- oral decongestants, re- increasing risk for uh, high blood pressure, insomnia and such, or increased anxiety, all these things can be signed like y- your allergies are getting out of control. And it's, it's worth getting assessed and, you know, talking about treatment options. And my own question, neti pots. Good? Bad? What's the word on those? 
neti pods done correctly uh, absolutely can help. You're helping your body wash out the allergen, wash out those um, perhaps thick secretions out of your sinuses. Uh, that can definitely improve. I've done a neti pod. It's like a radiator flush for your nose, but you feel like an idiot doing it. Yeah, you know, you do it over the sink, do it in the shower, you know, get that allergen out. I often advocate that if you're spending the afternoon or evening outside, get that allergen out. Uh, but it can help. The whole idea is it, if you got to have the right concentration of the salt, you don't want it uh, to burn too much. People will do it with just plain tap water, which is the wrong thing to do because okay, one, I, okay, guilty. Okay, one that's not it's uh, it's not isotonic, so you can it's going to feel burn. It's not at the same. No, but I, I take tap water from good old Mississippi River water out of the Minneapolis tap, and then I put a little the salt packet in there, and I stick the genie bottle in my nose. Okay, okay, you're laughing at me. Am I not, am I not doing it correctly? <laughs> I cannot endorse that. Uh, <laughs> oh, in that, uh, there, there is... Uh, God, you've been a pain in the neck for 25 years, John, it, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> there, is, uh, there is the rare uh, chance of, of that water could be unfiltered to the point where it has amoebas in it, and you could get a severe uh, uh, infection. I've in, heard that, actually. Yeah, within 24 hours, and oh, it could gosh. be life threatening. So for that rare chance that you're having unfiltered water that is possibly contaminated, we say don't. Uh, just filtered water, bottled water. Um, distilled or distilled, filtered, all that yeah. kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah, that's ideal. But so the point is that it literally just kind of washes the allergens, the pollen, and the stuff that's sitting inside your nasal passages just mm-hmm. washes it out. Yeah, and the hard part is to get people to do it. I mean, people, they absolutely refuse. They, they I, I think it's great if you can do it right, you can tolerate it, and you can be very effective. But uh, there's some people who just don't find it comfortable. Okay, good tip. Do it the correct way. We'll do it safely. Don't yeah. do it like I do, and I won't do it that way anymore. And and if you can't tolerate the nasal lavage, the sinus rinses, we say get some saline nasal spray. Do six, eight, ten squirts into the nose. It's something milder, smaller. At least that will help get some of that allergen out. Terrific. We have been talking to John Sweet, allergist at Hennepin Healthcare. If you want an allergist and you live in the upper Midwest, I can't recommend anybody more strongly than John. So go to Dr. Sweet at Hennepin. Check him out at 612-873-MYMD. Or for more information, go to hennepinhealthcare.org. John, thanks for being with us today. It's been a great conversation. I could talk to you forever about this stuff. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Always glad to be here. It's great to have you on the show, John, and I hope to get you on a future episode. So thanks for listening today. I hope you'll tune in for our next episode. And in the meantime, be healthy and be well. Thanks for listening to the Healthy Matters Podcast with Dr. David Hilden. For more information on Healthy Matters or to browse the archive, visit our website at healthymatters.org. And if you have a question or comment for the doctor, email us at healthymatters at hcmed.org or give us a call at 612-873-TALK. The Healthy Matters Podcast is made possible by Hennepin Healthcare in Minneapolis, Minnesota and engineered by John Lucas at Highball. Executive producers are Jonathan Comito and Christine Hill. Please remember, we can only give general medical advice during this program, and every case is unique. We urge you to consult with your personal physician if you have more serious or pressing health concerns. Until next time, be healthy and be well.